in light of all that He had to suffer for our sake, is it really too great of a sacrifice for us to give back to Him? Is it really too much to ask? May you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 2. And can I ask you all to stand with me as we read this portion of Scripture? Philippians 2, and we'll be, I'll be reading four verses, and just follow along in your head. But the portion of Scripture that I just wanted to open up with is found in verses 5 to 8. Philippians 2, 5 to 8, and again, just follow along as I read out loud. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You may now take your seats. So we all know that today is a special day in our church calendar. It is Sacrifice Sunday. To outsiders and to maybe even young believers, this annual offering of Sacrifice Sunday may seem extremely bizarre, right? Some may even hear of Sacrifice Sunday and be put off and be turned away. They'll think to themselves, this pastor is encouraging the people to give one week's pay? Now that's way too much money to ask for. That's preposterous. How can anybody afford to give off one week of their paycheck? Now frankly speaking, it makes sense why one would have such a reaction. We live in an area where the cost of living is quite high. And I know, I'm sure you know that. Just going to the gas station, you lose a little bit of your sanity every single time you have to go in there. There are many things that we have to pay for. Rent, insurance, groceries that, you know, I saw a video where they showed how much, how much groceries you could get with $100 back then compared to how much you can get with $100 now. Now, I walk from the groceries, I only buy for one week, and sometimes I walk out with like very, a paltry amount of food, and it's like 60 bucks. I'm like, what? How is this so expensive for chicken breast? We pay for memberships and all sorts of other bills. The cost of living is quite high in BC. But many times, those who think that the Sacrifice Sunday is a preposterous thing, those who think that it is too much to give, they fail usually to acknowledge and they usually fail to grasp the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. They fail to understand how much Jesus actually had to suffer. God himself came from perfect and beautiful heaven, where the roads were paved with gold, where the mansions are much grander than anything that we have here on earth. He came from that beautiful place. And where did he go? He went down to earth to a broken, wicked, and highly imperfect world. 
He didn't just come down to earth to visit. He didn't just count, come down to earth to take a look around what was happening in society. What did he do? He became a man. And even more so, he didn't just live as a normal citizen. He became a servant to all men. God himself, he humbled himself and served others. As a man, he encountered the same exact temptations that we face. He was tempted with the the same difficulties that we have. But guess what? He was still able to live a perfect and sinless life. He did not sin once. He did not break the civil laws. He didn't break the Mosaic law. He never wronged anyone during his entire time on earth. And in fact, he changed the lives of those people that he met. He consistently walked righteously, pleasing his heavenly Father in every single action that he performed. He did everything that his Father wanted him to do. Now such a perfect and exceptional man would be perfectly deserving of a noble and peaceful end, right? Sometimes we wish, you know, like these tyrannical dictators or these very evil men, sometimes we wish that they would meet a very, uh, very harsh death for all the crimes that they've committed against humanity. But when we have a perfect man like Jesus, doesn't he deserve, isn't he deserving of a peaceful end? An end where he would be praised and showered with love by those that he had helped throughout his whole time on earth. An end where crowds would gather beside his, his bedside, expressing their appreciation, expressing their thanks for all of the good that he had accomplished on earth. That's what he deserved. A perfect man deserved to have a perfect, beautiful end to his life. Would have been a perfect and good ending, right? But folks, was that the case? Did the perfect man, Jesus, have a perfect and calm ending to his life? Jesus did not have such an end. His death far from being peaceful, far from being calm. Besides a select few people, he was not surrounded by people who loved or cared for him. In fact, his disciples, with the exception of John the Beloved, were nowhere to be found during the crucifixion account. None of the twelve, with the exception of John, were standing beside Jesus in his final hours. They ran away. They were in hiding. They cared more for their own life than to be there for their Savior. The people that were around Jesus during his final hours were people who hated him. People who rejoiced and were glad to see him suffer. People who would willingly release a known criminal into the world like Barabbas so that an innocent man like himself would be crucified. That is the crowd that he was around during his final days, during his final hours. And that was the least of the suffering that he had to go through. In his last moments, he was beaten. He was spat upon. Now, that doesn't seem like a, such a harsh thing, but being continually spat upon by onlookers, 
There comes a point, the last time that I was spat upon was in high school. And that was just one time. And immediately, the, my, the amount of t- my temper was just through the roof. It was disrespectful, just one time. But people were continually spitting upon our Savior, treating Him like a dog. He was mocked, and He was flogged. To be flogged means that uh, the victim would be tied to a post. They would be, they would be kneeling in front of a post, their, their hands tied overhead, and they would be in this position, basically, where their back was bare. Then the soldiers would grab their leather whip. Now leather, being whipped with dressed leather is already very painful. But the Romans embedded bone, embedded metal into the ends of this leather whip. This leather whip wasn't just meant to mildly hurt the victim. This leather whip was meant to not only whip the man, but to also pull flesh from the victim. It was supposed to pierce him and leave him a bloodied mess. That is what the flogging resulted in. By the end of the flogging, the recipient would receive such grave lacerations that even the muscles of his back can be seen openly. Many victims would die right here. Many victims, this is where they would die because of how painful it is. But is this where Jesus died? He survived this flogging. Because guess what? His suffering was not yet finished. They then placed a crown that had sharp thorns on him, and they didn't just place it gently on top of his head. They jammed it. They wanted to pierce him. They wanted to cause even further pain towards their Lord and Savior. And with that crown of thorns on his head, they continued to beat him with a reed. Now, even though he was already in critical condition, if an ER person saw Jesus at this point, they would, have, they would be very worried. They would be surprised that he was still breathing and kicking, that he was still alive. But Jesus' suffering had not reached its climactic ending yet. There was still one final act. Beaten to the greatest possible degree, Jesus willingly walked down the Via Dolorosa to go to his crucifixion, the way of suffering, the road that led to the place where, they would, that we, where he would be crucified. Now the crucifixion was the greatest punishment that the Roman civilization could give to a criminal. They reserved it for the very, very, very worst offenders in that, in that society. The victim would have their, their wrist and their feet nailed to the cross, to this wooden cross. Because of the positioning of the, of the nail on the wrist, it caused maximum pain, but with very minimal blood loss. The crucifixion was designed to make the victim not die immediately, but the crucifixion was designed to make the victim suffer excruciating pain for days, for days upon day. Crucifixion was nothing like being beheaded, was nothing like being hung, was nothing like the electric chair. It didn't give the victim the benefit of a quick death. And on top of this, while, he, while the victim would be on top of the cross, while Jesus was, on, was nailed to that cross, 
It's not like he was just left alone and isolated and, and just peacefully was to himself. No. Onlookers watched. And guess what? Were they, were they giving compliments to Jesus, giving praise to Jesus? What were they doing? They continued to mock him while he was at his worst. While he was suffering greatly already, people continued to mock him. Continued to make him look like a fool. Now imagine that yourself. You're already having the worst day of your life and other people are decided, are, are, have decided to heap more insults upon you. How would you react? You would probably burst out in anger defending yourself, but Jesus continued to just lay there on the cross. Christ was nailed to that wooden cross for about six hours when he finally gave up the ghost. The only perfect man in history there never will be another perfect man, died in the most horrific and inhumane manner of that day. Why? Why did Jesus have to die such a, such a brutal, in a, such a brutal manner? Why did Jesus have to suffer so much in his final hours? Why? Simply because he loved us. Why did Jesus allow himself to be betrayed and captured by Judas Iscariot? He could have run away, but he stayed because he loved us. Why did he allow himself to get flogged and beaten nearly to death? Because he loved us. Why did he allow himself to suffer and be treated as if he was a vile criminal? Because he loved us. Why didn't he just call upon the angels to come rescue him from the cross and heal him? From his wounds. He didn't do that because he loved us. Why did he have to die such a gruesome and lonely death? And what's the answer? Because he loved us. He made the greatest sacrifice in all the world because of his love for fallen humanity. He knew that the only way that man would ever be reconciled with God was that he had to lay down his own life for our sins. Now I say all of this, I, I, I described Jesus' suffering to this, to this extent because in light of all that he had to suffer for our sake, is it really too great of a sacrifice for us to give back to him? Is it really too much to ask? But that, the, 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 the giving sacrificially for Sacrifice Sunday is not actually my main point for tonight. Because the giving of our money is not the only way that we can give to God. It's not the only way we can sacrifice to God. In fact, there are three specific sacrifices that I was wanting us to, to visit and come look at. Folks, He gave His very best for us. Let us aim to give our very best to Him. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just, again, fill me with your spirit. And, help me, and though I'm not worthy to preach your word, and though I'm highly imperfect myself, I just pray that you would use me as your vessel and speak through me. And I pray that you would help me preach the words only you would want me to say, and nothing more than that. I pray that you would, again, use your word to touch the hearts of the congregation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, the first sacrifice, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, actually. Hebrews chapter 13. And Pastor White actually mentioned this um, earlier. And for a second there, I was scared. 
because I thought I had to rewrite my entire sermon again. I was like, oh man, <laughs> pastor was going to preach on my sermon. Because he, I guess he said three sacrifices, and I thought he was going to um, say the similar ones that I, I had. I was very scared there for a second. <laughs> but Hebrews 13, verse 15. And I'm just going to read the verse myself, and then I'm going to ask you to just say one word out loud. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. praise. To God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Now turn with me back to the Old Testament. Psalm 116, verse 17. And again, this is not something that is exclusive to the New Testament. We find this exact same sacrifice in the, the Old Testament. In Psalm 116, verse 17, it says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of what? Thanksgiving. And we'll call upon the name of the Lord. Now, when I read this sacrifice, and when I saw this sacrifice that was listed in these two verses, something, I thought of something. Why is offering up praise, why is the giving of praise considered a sacrifice? Usually, a sacrifice is something very costly that we must give up, right? We don't say when we just give away something haphazardly without thinking about it, that's not a sacrifice because we, we, we didn't care for that particular item. A sacrifice is usually something that we hold dear, that we must give up. It's very costly. And praise is seemingly not that costly to offer up. In fact, all of us here tonight, in your seats, in this very moment, you can offer up praise to God right now in your seats, can't you? You can just think in your mind, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. And you can give praise to God where you are at right now. Now, how is that a sacrifice? That was easy. Is that all sacrifice is? To just think and, and give praise to Him? Not only that, but we also praise other people in our daily interactions. So praise is not something that we reserve just for God. We praise other people. Now, some people... They may, they, it seems like they're allergic to giving praise. They, they rarely compliment other people. They rarely praise others. They're always talking bad. But you know, the majority of us, we naturally give praise to other people, right? It is something that just comes out of us. And we can hardly call it a sacrifice when we do give praise to another individual. So again, why does the Bible consider the offering up of praise as a sacrifice? How is this a costly gift to God? Now, hopefully you didn't turn away from Hebrews 13. I'm going to ask you guys a question, and you guys have to just answer it. Give you some time to think of the answer. There is one word in Hebrews 13, 15 that shows why praise, why the giving up of praise is considered a sacrifice. So look at Hebrews 13, 15. And reading it to yourself, what word do you think is important to, for us to understand that praise is a, sac, is a great sacrifice? Continually. The important word in this verse is continually. As I've just mentioned, praise is very easy for us to give. Right now we can give praise to God. 
We can give thanks for all the things that he's done for us today. But praise becomes a sacrifice when we offer it to him continually. Continually. Sure, it's easy to give God praise most days of the week. When the, when the morning has gone well, everything is going right in our lives, it is, a natural, it is natural for us to give Him praise. When everything is going according as planned, it is natural for us to say, Thank you, Lord. That is easy. But may I ask that the moment your life transitions from a calm waters, from calm waters into a raging storm, into a troublesome chapter of your life, would, would you still be praising His name? The moment life starts to get a, get a bit difficult, are you still going to be praising His name? When you don't get accepted into the school that you wanted to go to, maybe you had a dream university, a dream college, and you don't get accepted into that college, are you still going to offer up praise to God? When you don't get hired by the company that you were wanting to work for, a company that had a very attractive pay, and you were rejected by them, will you still give God the glory? When you get hit with a serious illness, when you get hit with a debilitating injury that came out of nowhere, will you still be willing to say, thank you, Lord? When a precious loved one passes away abruptly, will you still be able to say, Lord, you have been so good to me? It's not that easy, huh? to give praise to God when things are not going our way. But there's one man in the Bible that really understood this sacrifice. Job 1, 20-22, after losing everything that he had, losing family, losing possession, losing his money, his wealth, this is, what, what, this is how Job responded. Job 1, verse 20-22, Then Job arose, and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. But he didn't fall upon the ground to start complaining. He didn't fall upon the ground starting to curse God. He worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. And what did he say afterwards? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He knew how to give the sacrifice of praise. A writer puts it this way, when God has blessed us, when God has helped us and, and protected us, we naturally feel generous towards Him. We can sing, worship, and talk about how good He is because we can see it in our lives. That kind of praise, although worthwhile, doesn't cost us anything. It's easy to give praise when things are going well. It is in a sacrifice. But to praise God during difficult trials will require personal sacrifice. It takes an act of the will to lay our all on the altar before a God whose ways we don't understand. When we bring a sacrifice of praise, we choose to believe that even though life is not going as we think it should, God is still good and that we can trust Him. That is the sacrifice of praise. 
giving thanks to His name, giving glory to His name, no matter what situations may be present in your life, no matter what your present circumstances may be, you are still choosing to thank Him for everything that He has placed in your life. Whether you are in the valleys or the mountaintops of life, praise God. Praise God. Don't just choose to praise God when you're at the top of the mountain, when you are enjoying all of His blessings. Don't just praise God at that time. Praise God when you have fallen down, when you feel dejected, when you feel depressed. Keep giving glory to His name. And you know what? This has a second benefit. When you choose to give praise to God, when you are depressed and everything is going going wrong for you, other people will start to notice. They'll start to think, why is he so joyful even though such and such happened to him? Why can he still remain so happy and peaceful when he lost this or that? And they'll inquire why you have that joy. And they'll open up a way to witness to another person. Giving glory and praise to God is not always natural and simple, but that is why God calls it a sacrifice on our part. Let us offer praise to Him continually. Now turn with me to Psalm 51, a very famous psalm. When it comes to dealing and discussing the the topic of sacrifice, I think it is very important to tackle Psalm 51. The 51st Psalm we know as David's famous prayer of repentance. And those who may be watching or those present here that don't really that may not know why he's repenting. Basically, David, King David, had just been exposed by Nathan the prophet. Exposed for what? What did David do secretly? And all of us, most of us probably know the story. But he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he indirectly killed Uriah. Well, he gave him, gave him an order to follow, and because Uriah was so loyal to King David, he followed the command to the T, to the letter, and he died for, because of King David's orders. And Nathan the prophet basically rebuked King David openly for, this, for these secret sins that he was harboring, that he hid from the, the people. And after this event, I would assume that many people in the, in the, in the Israelite kingdom, nobles, soldiers, citizens, I'm assuming that a vast majority of the kingdom lost respect for King David. There is no way that this public rebuke stayed within the castle walls. This most likely spread throughout the entire nation of Israel. I'm assuming that the majority of the kingdom, the, the kingdom had bitterness and resentment towards King David. What kind of king would do that to a loyal soldier like Uriah? What kind of king would commit such a grave sin? But by God's grace, David remained the king. He wasn't kicked off his throne. He remained the king. But you know what? Besides remaining on that throne, everything else for King David was going downhill. And he had no one to blame but himself. So after such a sin, and after royally messing up, after losing the trust of his people, what course of of action did David need to take? What should David do at this point in life to make up for everything wrong that he's done? What should he do? Well, David, he could have made a grandiose, he could have made a well-written apology to deliver to the kingdom. He could have done that. He could have made a great, grand apology pleading the, pleading the Israelites to give him another chance. 
He could have done that. David also could have followed the customs and the law of that time and offered up abundant amount of animals as a burnt offering. I mean, he had a lot of possession. He had a lot of, uh, of sheep in his, in his, uh, under him. He could have sacrificed from his great wealth and from his vast flocks in his quest to gain God's forgiveness. He could have offered, offered up flocks of sheep to make up for his sin. But is that what David did first? The reason why David didn't do that first, why he didn't give a well-written apology, or why he didn't del- uh, deliver flocks to be burnt as an offering, he didn't do either of those things because he knew that those burnt sacrifices are not what God truly wanted from him. God didn't want his sheep. God didn't want him to make a genuine apology to the people. What God wanted, we can find in Psalm 51, while you're there, verses 16 to 17. It says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. It was within David's power to give a vast amount of sacrifice. And he follows up with, Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of of God are a, what? A broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. The second sacrifice tonight is the sacrifice of a broken spirit. Now we have the sacrifice of praise, but now we have the sacrifice of a broken spirit. Again, David had plenty of unblemished lambs that he he could have used as, as a burnt offering. But that alone, giving of those lamb and sheep, will not change his inward self. It will, not, it will not clean his dirty, corrupt, and wicked heart. It will not purify his, his evil actions. What David needed was not to give lambs, was not to give sheep. David needed a spiritual revival first things first. Folks, Tonight, there may be some of us here who are in sin. As, we, as I speak, there may be some of us here who are in sin, entertaining uh, a wicked action or whatever it may be. There are some here who may be spiritually cold, spiritually apathetic. Let me just remind you that giving to Sacrifice Sunday, giving one week's paycheck for Sacrifice Sunday will not fix your spiritual condition. Just because you decide to write a check or give money to Sacrifice Sunday doesn't mean that that sacrifice will magically rub out all the dirtiness of your heart. What you need to do first, if you haven't already, is give God your broken spirit. You need to get your heart right before you give such a great sacrifice. Don't make your sacrifice to God be in vain. I assure you that if you give to Sacrifice Sunday with a wicked and evil heart, with a sin that you still have not let go of, God will not be pleased, no matter how much money you decide to give. God doesn't care for how much you gave. He cares about your heart behind that. 
behind that gift. The heart must always be in alignment with the sacrifice given. The heart must be in alignment with the sacrifice that you gave. Well, how do I get my heart right? Brother Ivan, I have, some, I have a sin that I've, in my life that I've, I've been entertaining. How do I get my heart right? Well, look no further than Psalm 51. Now, a whole series can be preached on just this passage alone. But I honestly believe that if you just keep reading this, this psalm, keep reading the verses again and again, and then pray it back to God, and you truly mean it, then I believe that you can actually get individual spiritual revival. That is how you get your heart right. But like all sacrifices that we offer up, this is a costly, this is a costly sacrifice. How so? Well, be prepared to ask God to forgive the sins that you don't want to talk about. Maybe you have some sins that you have long stashed away and you have kept hidden all your life ever since you committed them. Well, be prepared to take those out of the closet and ask God for forgiveness for those things. God was already aware of them. Don't get me wrong, God is omniscient and He was already aware of those sins, but what He wants from us is He wants us to admit our sins openly. Does He need us to admit? No, He knows, that, he knows we committed those things, but He wants us to confess openly. And He will, it will forgive us openly. But our spirit must, must be broken. Having a broken spirit will require you to throw away your pride. It will require you to adopt a humble attitude. You have to throw away the high esteem that you have of yourself. Many get stuck in this point because they refuse to think of, them, they refuse to think of themselves as lowly creatures. They don't want to confess to the fact that they are pitiable creatures in the sight of God. They don't want to confess the fact that they are wicked sinners. They don't want to do that. They're too prideful. If you want to offer up the sacrifice of a broken spirit, you need to throw away your pride. Acknowledge that you are a sinner that needs God's forgiveness. When we have offered up a broken spirit to God, then we can offer up other sacrifices to Him. Look, at, look with me in Psalm 51 again, the same passage still. Psalm 51.19 says, Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. After we have broken our spirit and have offered up a, a true heart and, a true, and being very sincerely repentant of our actions, then he will be pleased with the sacrifices that we give to him. So get, we need to get our hearts right. Before we give to Sacrifice Sunday, or even if you already gave, make sure that you get your heart right tonight. There's still time and an opportunity for us to get our hearts right before the Lord. A broken spirit must precede all other sacrifices that we give, otherwise they will be in vain. And we don't want our gifts to be in vain, right? We want it to be pleasing to the Lord. So we need to get our hearts right. Looking inwardly in your, in your situation, will God be pleased with the sacrifices that you give? Will God be pleased? Or will it be in vain in His sight? And lastly, turn with me to Samuel 15. This is my last point for the night. Samuel 15, verse 1. 
Samuel 15, 20 to 22. And this point is not specifically referred to as is not specifically referred to as a sacrifice. And in fact, the passage declares it to be even better than any sacrifice that we can give. 1 Samuel 15, 20-22, and again, just follow along, it says, And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel saith, said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to what? To obey is better than what? Than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. And this last sacrifice for tonight is the sacrifice of complete obedience. We've seen a sacrifice of praise to give, God, to give glory to God's name continually. We see the sacrifice of a broken spirit so he would be pleased with our, with our gifts. But lastly, we have the sacrifice of, a, of completely obeying the Lord. In this passage, King Saul was given a command to completely smite all of the Amalekites, to kill all the people, to kill all the animals. That was the command. But what did Saul do? He ended up sparing the king of the Amalekites, Agag. And he also spared the very best of the animals. Did he obey the Lord or no? He didn't. Now, you could say that his intentions, though, his intentions were noble. He was going to take the lambs, he was going to take these animals, and give it back to God. Some people would say that that's a noble intention. He had God in mind, he wanted to sacrifice these things to God. But is that what God asked for? God didn't want Saul's burnt offerings. He didn't want his sacrifice, the spoils that he got from the Malachites. What he wanted Saul to do was to completely obey him, to completely obey the command that he gave. Now, I leave this last because this is the hardest thing that we can offer up to God. This sacrifice of, a, of completely obeying Him is the hardest thing that we can offer up to God. For many of us, it is easier to give one week's pay than it is to fully surrender our lives to God's will and God's command. Most of us here would much rather give a month's salary even rather than giving our life over to God. That's scary. That's uncomfortable. Sacrifice Sunday is a special annual, annual gift that we give to God. But the sacrifice of complete obedience to His will is an everyday decision. It is not once a year. Imagine if you only obeyed God once a year. It is an everyday decision. And this is why it's such a difficult sacrifice. It is a continual sacrifice that we have to give. Complete obedience means that we must give up some of our desires. Complete obedience means that we must give up anything that may be between us and the Lord. Complete obedience may require us to give up the things that we hold most dear to us. Complete obedience is rarely about choosing 
the good over the bad. Many times, complete obedience is about choosing the best, which is God's will, over the good things that we hold dear. It's not good versus bad, but it's best versus good. And sometimes we don't want the best because we don't necessarily perceive it to be the best option at that current moment in time. We want to hold on to the, the good things that we already have because we don't want the scariness of unlocking what God's best is for our lives. The price of complete obedience is steep, much steeper than the other two that we've just talked about. And it is very possible and likely all, for some of us here tonight to live our whole life without ever offering up this sacrifice to Him even once. It's a lot of Christians in their deathbeds who could never pinpoint a time in their life where they completely surrendered their life to God, where they never gave the sacrifice of complete obedience to Him. But because the price of this sacrifice is so steep, the rewards are even greater. In 1 Kings 2-3 it says, And keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes and His commandments and His judgments and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Everything that is precious, everything that is needful for the perfecting of our character is not found outside of God's will. It is found within His will. All the valuable graces can be only truly obtained when we are in His will. Like the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, those things can truly be obtained only when you are in God's will. A lot of people, they spend their entire life just trying to acquire one of those graces, and they never get to it. But complete obedience is steep. But when we truly obey God and surrender our life to whatever He would want, us, want from us, there's a lot of rewards to be had. Many of us tonight have stepped out in faith this morning already, and many of us are stepping out in faith tonight to sacrificially give of our possessions and our finances, a week's pay. And we are trusting that God will accomplish a great work through the gifts that have been given. But let us remember that our sacrificial giving, our sacrifice Sunday, doesn't end with this annual offering. We learn tonight about three other important sacrifices. Praise, a broken spirit, and complete obedience to His will. And these three all have something in common. They are continual sacrifices. They're not annual. They're not bi-weekly. They're not every quarter. These three sacrifices are something that we have to decide to give to God every single day. And surely enough, sure, sure enough, we won't be able to give these three things every single day. There will be times that we'll falter. We're only human in the end of the day. But let's get back on track to give Him praise, to give Him a broken spirit, and to completely obey His will. We might be overwhelmed, and we might think that these sacrifices are too great, too difficult to give to Him at such a constant basis. But remember how I started this sermon, how He suffered for our sake. Harry Ironside, he was a prolific Christian writer and he was a pastor greatly used by God. 
He once said this, and I will end with this quote. No sacrifice should be too great for him who gave himself and his all for us. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.